Father, we pause right now to recognize the significance of that truth. That from the dawn of time you reign to the end of days, you alone, you and you alone through Jesus Christ are the God who saves. No other name, no other power can do that but Jesus Christ alone. And it is Him who we worship today. It is Him we desire to see exalted here in this place. Holy Spirit, would you continue to move and meet with your people today? As we come under the authority of your word now, I pray that we would have teachable and humble hearts. Lord, our pride, there's no place for it in our hearts, God. We would lay it down. We would not reject what you want to say to us, but we would press in with faith and expectancy that as we open your word, you have not brought each person here by accident. You have brought them here with a purpose to speak to them, to get our attention. And I pray that we would do well to pay attention. And so, Father, find humble hearts ready to receive, ready to say, yes, Lord, here I am. What do you say to your servant? Father, open eyes to see, ears to hear, and heart to respond. Guard my mouth from error, God, and say what you want to say to your church for the glory of the awesome name of Jesus Christ. Church, if you agree with me, in Jesus' name, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, such a powerful time of worship this morning. I'm so excited and expectant for what God Almighty is doing in and through his church here. I pray you are and are catching a glimpse of that even now. Well, we're continuing in our series uh, in 1 John, and it's entitled Walking in the Light. And the title of this day's message is this, Recognizing Deception. Recognizing Deception, taken from 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 to 27. And if you do not have a Bible with you, trust me, you're going to want one in front of you. Okay? So please put up your hand, and our ushers are coming forward right now to put one in front of you. Okay, don't be shy. Put it up nice and high. They're going to drop one in front of you, because you're going to want to follow along with God's word this morning. And if you do not have a Bible at home, then please keep that as a free gift, as our way of saying thank you, but also to encourage you to study God's word on your own. And as you're flipping to 1 John 2, 18 to 27, uh, I have a question for you, and it is this. Are you living with spiritual discernment? Are you living with spiritual discernment? Another way to say that is this. Can you recognize spiritual deception and be on guard against it? Can you recognize spiritual deception and be on guard against it in your home, through your television, in your classroom, in the speakers and even in the churches that are around us? Would you know what to look for and how to be on guard against it? And that sets the tone for this text. And you say, why is this important? Because of this. This is our big idea for today. You'll see it on the screen. Without spiritual discernment, you will walk in spiritual deception. There's no other avenue. Without spiritual discernment, you will walk 
in spiritual deception, as will I. See, we have to remember this, loved ones. The Christian life is not a playground. It's a battleground every day. And spiritual conflict is inevitable. And we must be armed for battle or we will fall into deception. It is not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. See, the problem is this. We live in a world that is saturated. Would you agree? We live in a world that is saturated in spiritual deception. Saturated in it. And most people, including Christians, are not living with spiritual discernment in facing it. And more and more people, even entire churches, have you noticed this? Entire churches are being led astray by it. Saturated with it. Spiritual discernment is the guard against spiritual deception. And here, after writing to the church about the first four tests that show who are genuine followers of Christ, John now enters a new section in his book and writes to warn the church of the spiritual deception they must be on guard against as they are in danger of being lied to and deceived by it every day. And here we see three crucial discernments that we must, we, I can't exhort that enough, we must practice if we are to be on guard against deception, recognize it for what it is, and ultimately hold fast to the truth of God's word in the face of it. In the face of it. Let's go to the text and to honor the authority of God's word, let's stand as we read through it. Warning concerning antichrists. Verse 18, children, it is the last hour, and as you've heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. And you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in in him. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, to recognize deception, I must be discerning of others. The first practice is this. To recognize deception, I must be discerning of others. And I must ask, are they persevering in Christ? Key question for each of these. Are they persevering in Christ is the first one. Look at verse 18. 
Children, John says, it is the last hour, and as you've heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come, therefore we know that it is the last hour. John starts by addressing his spiritual children. The children there are the genuine believers in the church. Notice that, again, is a tone of affection. It's a tone of love for them, a pastoral heart for them. And he gives them a warning that they are in the last hour and that the spirit of the Antichrist is at work among them, both within and outside the church. Now, we've got to get clarity on this because there's lots of different thoughts and opinions about the end times and what that last hour is. So it's always a good idea, loved ones, to go back to scripture to find out. Okay? Let's just make that known first. We go back to the source. And what does that mean? The last hour, the Greek word for last hour is eschatos, which to some of you, you will know, that is the root word for eschatology. Eschatology, which means the last days. The last days, which began at the death and resurrection of Christ and will continue until he returns to earth to establish his kingdom. That is the period of the last days, which means he could come back at any moment. This is the tone of urgency that John is giving his church. It is the time between the first and second coming of Christ. The last days. And John wants them to recognize the urgency that they are to live with in the fight for the faith and for the souls of the lost. Because why? Why does he, why does he pinpoint this urgency so much? Look at verse 18. He says this. He says, because as you have heard, verse 18 that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Okay, again, lots of different perceptions and information you have probably heard or received about this Antichrist and what this is. Well, the Greek word for that word Antichrist means this, one who opposes or sets himself against Christ. One who opposes or sets himself against Christ and is empowered by Satan. He is empowered by Satan. And here John uses, notice every word inspired, we must in our study of scripture, notice the words. Sounds kind of redundant, don't you think? But notice the words. Every word's in there for a reason. All right, he uses the singular form for antichrist. Do you notice that in verse 18? That the antichrist has come. That's significant. This refers to the final antichrist that is coming or the final world ruler who will seek to oppose Christ and his people and deceive the nations. He's mentioned a number of times all throughout scripture. Look at Revelation 13. Verse 4 does a, a clear job of recognizing that. But you also look at 2 Thessalonians, I find most helpful. 2 Thessalonians 2, chapters, or chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, where he's described as the man of lawlessness who proclaims himself to be God. Or he sets, see there's the root, he sets himself against God. And he works to deceive the nations in the, in the end times. He works to deceive the nations and gather them to himself. He is the spiritual nemesis of Jesus Christ. However, however, notice this. The second time John uses the word, if we move down in the verse, as you've heard that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists. What's that? It's the plural. Wait a second. Didn't you just say there was one? What's he talking about now? 
The second time he uses that, he uses the plural form of the word, which indicates that the spirit of the Antichrist that is opposed to God is already here and is at work through the false teaching that was happening in the church. The spirit of the Antichrist is already at work to deceive people, turning them away from God and turning them towards him. Okay, And it's, it's happening through the false teaching that's happening in the church that denied Jesus was the Christ and promoted a substitute savior as an extension or replacement of the true gospel. Does that sound familiar today? Anyone? The spirit of the Antichrist is at work already. The final Antichrist is coming. His spirit is at work today in increasing measure. And this is how we recognize that we are in the last days, John says, because the presence, their presence, these false teachers in the world is pointing to the final Antichrist that is to come. They are, um, they are sowing deception, whether knowingly or unknowingly. And the closer we get to Christ's return, the increasing amount of deception we will see in and outside of the church. It's no wonder, John writes, with urgency. The closer we get to Christ's return, the more deception we will see. Because they know, as Satan knows, his time is short. His time is short, and he wants to deceive as many people as he can. Including you and me. Anyone thinks he's strong, take heed lest he fall. Look at verse 19. John goes on to say this. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. John's speaking of the false teachers that came from, in, notice this, where'd they come from? Inside the church. He came, they came from inside the church. And even though externally they looked like they were genuine believers, they could say the right things, they could do the right things, they could quote the right passages, they could do all of this, they had left the church and tried to deceive or take the faithful followers with them. They did not uphold the faithful doctrine of the church and began teaching about what was false. They were extending the gospel beyond the bounds of scripture, adding things to it, distorting it, twisting it. And they left the church, and as such, it showed they had left the true faith. They weren't followers of Christ in the first place. And as a result of this, the proof John gives that shows these peoples were not true followers of Christ is that, here's the reality, if they had been, they would have persevered in the faith and not abandoned it. Why? This is called the doctrine of eternal security. The doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Write these down, these are very important the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints and eternal security, which say that those who are truly in the faith can never lose it or abandon it. You cannot lose your faith if you are a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. You will not abandon it. God, by his Holy Spirit as the seal, will guarantee it in your life to the end. You can't lose it. Now, it doesn't mean that those who are truly saved will never sin. Otherwise, I'm missing the boat. Right? But what it does mean is that they will not continue with sin unchecked in their lives. 
They will recognize it for what it is. They will repent of it and turn back to Christ. How do we know this? Don't take my word for it. Let's take his. There's tons of verses. Look at Philippians 1.6. But I want, I want to focus on Hebrews 3.14 for a moment. It says this. For we have come to share in Christ. That means we are truly saved if indeed we hold to our original confidence. What does that mean? The original truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that Christ himself proclaimed. This is how we know we're saved. If we hold to our original confidence firm to the end. You cannot lose your faith if you are genuinely born again. This came this week. This is the ultimate test of Christianity. You know what it is? It's not how often you come to church. It's not how often you crack the book. It's not how many good deeds you do. You know what the ultimate test of Christianity is? Endurance. Endurance. In the faith. In the true faith. Only those who persevere to the end have truly been born again. So just stop for a moment. That's kind of heavy, don't you think? It's kind of heavy. But do you notice this as you look around culture today? It's not getting any easier to be a Christian. Do you notice that, or is that just me? It's not getting easier to be a Christian in your classroom. It's not getting easier to be a Christian uh, in the workplace, on your street. It's not. Why is that? Hmm. Hmm. And as a result, we're seeing more and more people who claim to be followers of Christ exposed for who they really are. Why? Because let's face it. We're not living in a Christian nation anymore, loved ones. Let's just let that go. We're not living in a Christian nation anymore. And there is less and less room to hide. You might think you can blend in for a while. You might think you're not going to be... Really? Try it. There's less and less room to hide. And pending a move of the Lord in a revival, it's only going to get worse. Because Christ said it would. There's less and less room to hide. And God, but here's, here's the awesome thing, one of the many awesome things about God. God and his divine purposes will work through increasing deception and persecution to expose or separate genuine Christians from those that are not. He will take what the enemy desires for destruction and use it for good. He will expose those who claim to be genuine followers of Christ from those who are not. Ultimately, why does he do this? To protect, know this, know this, to protect the church from false teaching, to protect the purity of the church, to protect the teaching of the church that would have devastating consequences to it if it was allowed to endure in it and in the lives of those who were coming under it. He uses it to protect and purify the church. The, the protection and the purity of the church are at stake. Increasingly. Alistair Begg, the reality, he hit it on the head. The reality is this, Alistair Begg 
said this. He said, there are some who share for a while our earthly company who do not share our heavenly birth. I'm a Christian. Yeah, I got Jesus. I got a... Who share our earthly company but do not share our heavenly birth. So question, question is this as we think through this. How about you? Are you being discerning of the people around you? Not in some, hey, hey, loved ones, not in some condescending, condemning, sinfully judgmental way, but are you using wisdom of who you seek counsel from? Are you using wisdom of where you get your teaching from? You say, well, they got a Christian section in the, in the chapters. I'll go there. Careful. Careful. Red light, red light. Are we using wisdom? Are we being discerning of people? Even from those who claim to be ministers of the gospel. Hey, loved ones, here's a good thing. Never uh, assume a best-selling book or popularity with men is an indicator of one who's preaching a faithful gospel. Never assume it. Careful. Use discernment. Use discernment. External signs of conversion to Christ may not reflect internal salvation in Christ. Okay? So you say, well, we want to give you a tool. How, how do we discern if people are persevering in Christ? What does discernment look like? How do, we, how do we know if someone's persevering? Well, Scripture's loaded with it, but let's give three snapshots, which I think are the umbrellas by which everything else goes from. Three, three indicators of perseverance in Christ. Number one, confession of Christ. Have they made a confession of Christ? Repented of sin? Trusting in Jesus Christ alone as their personal Savior? Do they actually say that they have? Have they made that decision? Repented of sin, trusted in Jesus Christ, believing he's the only way. There is salvation in no one else. That he came as fully God and fully man to the earth. Lived a perfect life, the Son of God. Died on a cross and paid the penalty for our sin. Suffered and died and three days later rose again, defeating sin and death for eternity. And now sits at the right hand of God. The only Savior. Do they make that confession? That's the first one. That's where everything has to start. Because a genuine confession to Christ will lead to, ready? A genuine conformity to Christ. Confession, genuine confession has to lead to a genuine conformity. All right? Conformity to Christ. Is there a long-term? Okay, everybody say long-term. Long-term, not a flash-in-the-pan thing. Is there a long-term pattern of growth or maturity in their Christian life and obedience to God's commands? Is there a long-term pattern? Okay, why? Because we're going to sin. We're going we're to fall sometimes. But is there a long-term? I'm not who I was, but I'm not who I want to be. I'm growing. Is there a long-term pattern of growth or maturity in their Christian life and obedience to God's commands? Do they obey what Scripture says or twist it? Long-term. Not to put on a face for a season. Not to date someone in the church and say they're a Christian. Use discernment, loved ones. Okay? Genuine confession leads to genuine conformity, but genuine conformity, you know what that leads to? Genuine character of Christ. 
Conformity always leads to character of Christ, evidence of the Holy Spirit's work producing godly traits. You say, well, what godly traits? Go to Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It says this, but the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit inside the seal of one's salvation is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Here it is, love this one, faithfulness, faithfulness to God's word, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. A confession of Christ leads to genuine conformity to Christ which leads to the genuine character of Christ increasingly, increasingly over time. Because the bottom line is this, loved ones, if we haven't got this already, let's just make it abundantly crystal clear. The heart's true position in Christ is always seen over time. The heart's true position in Christ is always seen over time. And the truth is, without the power of Christ working in and through a person, they won't last. They won't last. Culture's not going to give them an inch, they're not going to last without the true power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit within them, and without the discernment of Christ in us and through us, we will be deceived and ultimately the church will be hurt. I'm so thankful for the leaders that we have in this church. I'm so thankful for our elders. of the privilege of one of our elders from Harvest Brampton and his family sitting here, Keith, is very, you're a precious friend. But here's the thing, Keith can give ear to this, becoming an elder in the church is not a light thing. It's a long process. It's not like, hey, you got a pulse? Let's put you in leadership. Are you kidding me? Why? Because elders, as the same with small group leaders, as the same with ministry leaders, they are charged with protecting the doctrine and the purity of the church. They're the front line. They're the guards against false teaching and they instruct and we teach and we equip by the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can as well to see others raised up. This is why we don't rush small groups as much as I would love to have them right now. This is why we don't rush them because our leaders are being trained right now to handle God's word, to shepherd God's people, to counsel them, to care for them, and to protect the purity of God's word and the church. So pray for them. Don't criticize leaders. Pray for them. It's so easy to criticize, isn't it? Pray for them. Why aren't it happening right now? Why is it ta- Listen, God grows his leaders in his time and his way. Trust him with the process that godly men and women are being raised up to lead. Pray for them. Don't criticize. It's so easy to do and our flesh will want us to do it. It's the most loving thing we as elders can do to care for you, to make sure the authority of God's word is upheld and is protected in the church.
And I love and I'm so thankful for the leaders God has raised up in this church right now so that you know when you have a small group leader, so that you know when you have a ministry team leader, that person has been tested. That person has been found by the grace of God approved to handle God's word and to uphold it and to love you through it. Again, we're not perfect, but it's seen over time. That's why we don't rush it. God raises them up in his time and his way. Tremper Longman III, commentary, uh, commentator I greatly respect, he said this, Christians must be tested. They must be tested to separate the true from the false because not everyone who claims to abide in Christ actually does. Not everyone who claims to abide in Christ actually does. To recognize deception, I must be discerning of people. Are they persevering in Christ? But we must also be discerning of the truth. Discerning of truth. Or ask the question, are they proclaiming the true Christ? Are they proclaiming the true Christ? Look at verses 20 and 21. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. You see there, John now moves to assure the genuine believers of their faith in Christ. Because like, am I, am I, he moves to assure you. You've been anointed by the Holy One. You've seen, the, you've made the confession. You've seen obedience to God's commands over time in your life. There's a godly character that's growing in you. But here's the thing. What is this anointed term? You've been anointed by the Holy One. The Greek word for anointed there means unction. Okay, it is, you've been anointed by the Holy Spirit. That means you've been given the Holy Spirit. You have been given the Holy Spirit, which was poured into their hearts and all believers by Christ, who is the Holy One here he's talking about, Christ, when they were born again. The Holy Spirit, as I said, is the seal or proof of one's salvation. He's the seal. You say, what are you talking about? Look at 2 Corinthians 1, 21 to 22. You'll see it on the screen. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ, that is in salvation, Here's that word again. And he has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. See that word again? Guarantee. You can't lose your salvation when the Holy Spirit is the seal of it. He's not going anywhere. He's the guarantee. We are his genuinely born again. Now notice there, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, that is Christ, and you all have knowledge. Sweet deal. Sweet deal. What's knowledge? What's he talking about there? Greek word means divine truth or wisdom. You have the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, living inside of you as a seal of your salvation. He gives you the divine truth of God. The wisdom that comes from God. Not worldly wisdom. Divine wisdom from God. Comes from the Holy Spirit, whose mission it is, is to guide people into the truth of God's word and to glorify Jesus Christ. And He is at work inside of me, inside of every one of you here as a genuine follower of Christ. He's at work. How do we know this? What's the Holy Spirit's job? We hear a lot of confusion about this. Here it is to lead you into divine truth, to exalt Jesus Christ by empowering His power within you to live out the life that Christ would have for you. 
So how do we know this? John 16, 13 and 14 says this. This is what Jesus says. When the spirit of truth, that is the Holy Spirit, comes, he will guide you. Love that promise. He will. He will guide you into all truth. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. How do you know the Holy Spirit's at work? When Jesus Christ is exalted. When he's glorified. The Spirit would lead them into all divine truth through God's word, empower them to apply it in their lives, and guard them from error. I want you to think of the Holy Spirit as as a built-in deception detector. Okay? He's a built-in deception detector against false teaching. Now, you you and I can still choose to listen to him or not, to grieve him or not, but he's a built-in deception detector. Now look at this. A deception against what? Look at verses 22 and 23. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. See, John states the clearest indicator, right there, just circle that verse, that is so key. The clearest indicator of the spirit of the Antichrist in a person is that they will deny that Jesus is the Son of God and the only Savior of the world. They will deny that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the only Savior of the world. See, you see that in verse 22. He says, who's the liar? But he who denies that what? Jesus is the Christ. What's the word for Christ there? Messiah. What's Messiah? Savior. Denies that he's the Christ. The one who came to earth as fully God and fully man to redeem his people. See, see, here's how you know the spirit of the Antichrist is at work. How do you know? What's the clue that we need to be discerning about? The spirit of the Antichrist always diminishes the person and work of Christ. Always. That's his goal. The spirit of the Antichrist always diminishes the person and work of Christ. When you hear that coming, that should be that detector going up. Red light, something's going on here. There's deception at work here. To deny the Son, as we see in verse 23, no one who denies the Son as the Father, he said, to deny the Son as the Father, you do not have God. You do not have a relationship with God if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They're a package deal. So you can't claim that you're in a relationship with God if you're not in a relationship with Christ. To deny the Son is to deny the Father. Now look around today, church. Look around, loved ones. Wouldn't you agree there is less and less recognition of the true Christ both within and outside of the church? Less and less recognition of the true Christ. Less preaching of the true gospel and an increasing failure to uphold the authority of God's word. It's all around us. Notice, there are so, do you notice this? So many religions in this world that all apparently have God at the head of them. But yet what we clearly see, just even from this one verse, let alone the rest of them that point to this in God's word, What John makes clear here is that just because there's all these different religions doesn't mean there are a bunch of different paths to God. There is one way through Jesus Christ alone. By confessing with our mouth and believing in our heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. There's one way. That doesn't change depending on pop culture.
And this is what, notice this, this is what the spirit of the Antichrist, empowered by Satan himself, is fiercely attacking in every corner of our society and in churches themselves. Look at the bookshelves. Look at the bookshelves at the bookstores in the spirituality section. Where's the person and work of Christ there? Look at the TV shows. Look at some of the teaching you get from pulpits all across the world. They've taken, they've, some of them have removed the pulpit. Altogether, we need to pray for our brothers and sisters. But if we don't believe me, just, just look at this. This hit me this week. Can we, we can bring up God in many discussions and there won't be an issue. We say, I believe in God. I believe in God. Yeah, you believe in God. I believe in God. I believe there's God. I believe Great, you're a Christian. Stop. Stop. Discernment. Ask, are they proclaiming the true Christ? Ask the question. We can have a lot of conversations about God and there's no conflict. Okay, what happens when you mention the name Jesus? What happens then? Things get testy. Quite often, that conversation takes on a very different tone. And you are now intolerant and you are now a bigot. Why? Why? Don't we all believe the same thing, end up in the same place? Because nothing less than all, here's why the Antichrist is at work so much. Nothing less than all of Christianity hangs on the person and work of Christ. Nothing less than all of the Christian faith hangs on the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you get that wrong, you get everything else wrong. And this is what the Antichrist is bent on deceiving people into rejecting with increasing tenacity and what we must increasingly be on guard against. As such, all other religions except Christianity do not confess Jesus Christ as God's Son, the Messiah. Do you notice that? None of them do. But, but notice this, the subtlety of this. Be careful. Use discernment. They won't come directly out and oppose Christ. They'll say, oh yeah, we believe in Jesus too. He's that prophet. Great, we're on the same page. We both love Jesus. Careful. Discernment. Are they proclaiming the true Christ? He's the prophet. Well, no, we believe in Jesus. He's the good teacher. He's the good man. Oh yeah, we believe in Jesus too, along with three million other gods, to make sure we've got ourselves covered. We're in Christ together. Starting to see the discernment that's needed here, loved ones? It can be so subtle. Don't be deceived. Question, are you living in discernment of the truth? In all these teachings or podcasts, books, messages, and opinions that are increasingly out there for us to download, watch, or listen to, question comes back to this. Be discerning. Are they proclaiming the true Christ? Through his true word. Or are they attempting to take out his exclusivity as savior and replace that with unbiblical notions, perceptions, ideas that set themselves opposite to him? That's the spirit of the Antichrist. And so you say, well, who is the true Christ? Where do we stand? This is a doctrinal statement. We have them available at the Connections desk. If you are thinking about joining this church, do not join this church without reading this doctrinal statement first. I was going to say it. Why? Because we care more about quality of discipleship than quantity of people in the church. 
We're not trying to trick anybody to get here. Read. Pray over it. Say, Lord, do I line up with this? Who do we believe the true Christ is? Here it is, right from our doctrinal statement on the screen. We believe that Jesus Christ, the eternal Son, moved by love in accordance with the will of the Father, took on human flesh, conceived through the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He, being fully God and fully man, lived a sinless life and sacrificially shed his blood and died on the cross in our place, accomplishing redemption for all who place their faith in him. He arose visibly and bodily from the dead three days later and ascended into heaven where, at the Father's right hand, he is now head of his body, the church, the only savior and mediator between God and man. And he will return in power and glory to consummate his redemptive mission. And if you read our doctrinal statement, you will see all of the scriptures that back every single one of those points up. Don't take our word for it, take his. That's who he says he is and who we are to exalt. This is the true Christ. This is the truth. We've been, as elders, as leaders, as small group leaders, this is the truth we've given our lives to upholding and protecting. To seeing your children, to seeing my children and others raised up in a church that upholds the authority of God's word. We've given our lives to this. Colossians 1.28 sums it up. See it on the screen. Him we proclaim, that is Jesus Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's the goal. That's the call. To recognize deception, I must be discerning of people. Are they persevering in Christ? I must be discerning of the truth. Are they proclaiming the true Christ? And lastly is this, loved ones, To recognize deception, I must be discerning of self. Ask, am I abiding in Christ? Am I abiding in Christ? Look at verse 24 to 27. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. Think about this. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. See, John now reminds the believers of the single most important task. Here it is. You say, what's the most important task to guard against deception? What is it? What is it? What is it? Here it is. They must do, if they are to be on guard against the deceptions that the enemy will try to use against them, they must abide. They must abide in the truth of the gospel that they have heard from the beginning. And what's John meaning there from the beginning? When it was first preached to them. The one that was passed down from Christ himself. From the beginning. Notice that he wants them to get this so clear. He's like, loved ones, abide. We need to abide. We need to be on guard. He repeats it twice. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Verse 24. If what you heard in the beginning abides in you. He's like, okay guys, we gotta get the point. All right? Abide. The the Greek word for abide there means to remain or stay with it. Stay with it. Stay with it, loved ones. Here's my exhortation. Stay with it. Don't don't follow the false teachers that are trying to add something new to it or or change it and thereby distort it. Stick with the true gospel that was passed down. 
John says that if we abide with the truth in verse 24, we abide with the Son and the Father and we'll increase. Here's, here's the awesome thing about we abide in the Son and the Father. We increasingly grow in communion with Christ, discern against error, and have him living out his power in life through us ultimately until we receive his promise of eternal life. There it is. Increasing communion with Christ. God, being on guard against error. The message must continue to be present in our hearts and active in our lives of those who've heard it and it requires a human response to do it. Notice this, where he says the end of verse 27, what does he say? The only imperative, the only do this in this text is this, abide in him. Abide in him, verse 27, right at the end. That's an imperative. He says it requires a human response, not a stale and... Uh, just when I get around to it mentality, but active and fresh. The deception's not going away. Neither can our abiding in Christ if we are to hold fast. Look at last two verses, 26 and 27. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing you've received from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true, Notice, notice he's saying, it's true, and it's no lie. You see what he's adding? See, John, can't you just hear him? Loved ones, it's true, and there's no lie, and it abides in you, just as he has taught you, it has taught you, abide in him. Think John's serious about emphasizing this? Can't do it enough, can't do it enough. John finishes by affirming to the believers that because the Holy Spirit has been given to them by Christ through salvation, there's the anointing of the Holy Spirit, bam, seal of our salvation, They have no need that anyone should teach them anything new that diverges from the true gospel. Why? Because this truth doesn't change. Know this, loved ones. I don't care what the tide of culture does. This truth doesn't change. It will last. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's words will remain. It will not change. And the Holy Spirit in them would continue to confirm it and guard them in it as they continue to abide in Christ. There's an active response needed. Now let's clarify something. In verse 27, it says this. I thought I was out of a job this week. It said, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. I was like, uh-oh. How am I going to explain that? <laughs> well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Here we go. Look at this. John's not saying, what John's not saying here is that they know everything. He's like, believers, you've got everything. You're good. John would be out of a position there too. But look at what he's saying. He's not saying you don't, that you know everything and don't need to grow and come under the teaching of God's word. He's rather the gospel that was taught and known by them from the beginning didn't need to be retaught with new additions to it. You don't need to hear it again with do these six things and new revelations and do these things and, and then you've got the... He says, you know it. You don't need to be retaught it. We need to be refreshed in it, but we don't need to be retaught some new way. There's not another way to heaven. There's no more tasks you need to do to earn it. There's no new revelations. If anyone tried to teach them that, right away, right away, the believers would know. There's the safeguard against deception, the Holy Spirit. Right away, they would know. That's deception. Stop. Hold the phone. Remember this. I said this a couple weeks ago. I'll say it again. James McDonald said it. So true. If it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. If it's new, it's not 
true. And if it's true, it's not new. Orthodox tradition, loved ones, hear this. Orthodox tradition, the truth of God's word passed down from Jesus Christ himself, which men and women over the centuries have given their lives to upholding and protecting its authority for the church, must be the standard for measuring new revelations and personal experiences. It doesn't work any other way. You will be deceived if what you say, I think God's telling me to do something. Line it up with his word. Get counsel from teachers that have devoted themselves to upholding it and can lovingly come alongside you. Okay, line it up. They all must be tested against what the scripture and the true gospel says. All of these things. And we're going to talk in a few weeks when we get to chapter 4. Feel free to read ahead on testing the spirits. And we're going to see how to do that. Praise the Lord for his word to equip us. Okay? We're going to see how to do that. But if I could sum up what John's saying here, it would be this. You'll see it on the screen. Jesus plus nothing is everything. That's what he's saying. Yes. Jesus plus anything else is heresy. And I don't use that word lightly. Jesus plus nothing is everything. Jesus plus anything, do this, do this, do that, works, do this, it's heresy. Watch the deception. Watch it. Hey, loved ones, as we finish here, I just want your eyes to look up here for a moment. If there's one exhortation that I can give to you today, it's this, abide in Christ. Oh, make that a priority in your life more than anything else. Abide in Christ. We must keep the connection or we will walk in deception. It's true. It's true. Because here's the truth. Charles Spurgeon said this. Without God, we can do nothing. John 15, 5. Without God, we can do nothing. And in proportion, as we attempt to live without him, we ruin ourselves. It's not a matter of if. It's just a matter of when. We've got to abide. And when we recognize the deception that is at work to lure you and I away from the truth, it should fill us with this urgency that John is speaking of here. The urgency to press into the Lord and seek him through his word with all of our heart. So last question of the day, church. Hey, church, love you so much. I know this is a, if this is a hard word, a heavy word, but would you agree with me it's a needed word? Yeah. Listen, question, are you abiding in Christ through his word every day? Every day. And I'm not putting a time limit on it. For some of you, that'll be like 10 minutes. Some of that'll be five. Some of it'll be an hour. Whatever. Are you making a consistent time to abide with the Lord? Are you growing in discernment and a hunger for God's word and seeing it increasingly applied by the power of the Spirit in your life? You say, well, how do I abide with Christ? Where do I even get started? There's reading plans right at the back. You can grab one. Just start. Just start. Here it is. Ready? Make time. Make it consistent and ask the Holy Spirit's help for applying it. Say, really? That's, that's what you got? 
Make time, just start there, and all of a sudden the dog's going to have to go out real quick. Guaranteed. Make time, keep it consistent, ask the Holy Spirit for help to apply it. Start there. And you say, well, I don't have time. Listen, in love, I will say this. You will always have time for the things you make time for. Simple truth. You will always have time for the things you make time for. And what you and I make time for is the greatest reflection of our priorities. It's just a simple truth. And in a world that is saturated in deception, there is no greater priority we can have than seeking God through his word every day. Why? Because if we are to discern the truth, we must know the truth. It is the truth that sets us free. To recognize deception, I must be discerning of others. Are they persevering in Christ? Discerning of the truth, are they proclaiming the true Christ? And discerning of self, am I abiding in Christ? The hour is urgent, loved ones. What's your next step for growing in discernment today? All right? Let's pray. Father, I am so thankful for your word. Thankful for your presence here right now. Thank you for the Holy Spirit which guides us into all truth. Father, thank you for your goodness towards us and just making it so clear to us through your word of how we are to be on guard against deception. Thank you that you just didn't leave us alone here. You gave us the Holy Spirit to help us, our helper, our guide, the one who would guide us into all truth if we would but seek you. Father, I ask right now that as we have come under your word and feel the conviction of it, we wouldn't just shun it off. We wouldn't just ignore it and say, great, I heard a message, but Lord, we would take this to heart and say, God, am I in you and am I growing in discernment? Father, I pray for that. This would be a day of clarity and God, from that joy and freedom that Christ came to give. Father, I pray that as a church, God, you would give us strength. You would continue to give us unity us as leaders, as elders, as ministry leaders, as small group leaders, as the body of Christ here. God, you would give us unity in Jesus Christ, that we would not cease to proclaim the true Christ. Oh Lord, our hearts can be so deceptive and we know we're only a few decisions away from going down that road. So God, would you please guard our hearts, guard our minds, guard your word by your Holy Spirit in us because this is our Savior. This is our confession, and this is what we believe. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.